0: All right. Hey, thank you so much, student uh, praise team. They did an amazing job. So appreciate them. Uh, so much, so much. Uh, coming off Unite, and uh, they didn't get much sleep. Nothing new to them, but the poor host's home, right? Uh, I'm glad they're here also. Hey, just one word before we jump into the text this morning in our study, uh, and that is that this Wednesday is the first Wednesday of the month, and each, Wednesday, each first Wednesday of the month here at Northside, we gather right here in this place in our auditorium, uh, to have just a time of prayer. Uh, as I often say, it's, it's not preaching, it's not singing. We literally come together to pray. Pray for our church and needs within the church. Pray for our community. Uh, and ultimately pray that we as believers and as a church body would be empowered by the Holy Spirit just as the early church prayed so that we would be greater witnesses for Him and our community and for this, for His kingdom. And so I would encourage you, hey, whether you come alone uh, or whether you bring your whole family, as many of you do, but just come to this place. We open at that time at 6 p.m., and we just pray. You may pray for, uh, for five minutes. Uh, we've had people pray for hours, right? But, but whatever uh, is comfortable for you, to just come together, uh, pray together with your church family. Again, that is this Wednesday at 6 p.m. And yes, you can come, pray, and then still go to your regular midweek class if you're plugged into one already. We found ourselves in week five of this new series, Connections. This is a six-week series, so next week will be our final week in it. But what we're doing is we're looking at the connections we already have with people in our community, in our workplace, in our schools, in our homes and neighborhoods, the connections we already have in light of our commission as believers to share the good news of Jesus with everyone. And that being said, speaking of connections, next week, of course, is You don't know yet Super Bowl 58, right? And for those interested, there's a certain unnamed man who needs to connect with someone. Uh, He actually has two box seat tickets to the Super Bowl. Now, what's crazy, he literally paid $100,000 per ticket for these seats. Now, to lock in that low, low price, by the way, uh, that is apparently a discounted price, he had to purchase them a year ago, one year ago not realizing at the time that his fiance had also booked a venue for their wedding on that exact same date. You guessed it, in a totally different state, right? Uh, so, he is needing to connect with someone. Therefore, if you're interested, uh, he's looking for someone to take his place. It is at Box Springs Baptist Church in East Tennessee at 3 p.m. Her name is Crystal, and she'll be the one in the white dress. So, uh, you just show up, and, and I'm sure... Uh, everything, well, you don't, you're not going to pay $100,000 for a ticket, I know that, right? Well, no, seriously, uh, <laughs> I hope that you have taken an opportunity this week, and throughout this series, I've heard from so many of you to intentionally uh, engage with people you already have connections with, to talk to them, and just simply ask those questions, hey, what do you, what do you believe about the Bible? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about eternity? And, and listen, and, and allow them to respond to you. And eventually they'll give you the opportunity then to return that same favor by asking what you believe and you to just simply share not only what you believe but what is true for you in your relationship with Christ. I hope you've taken that opportunity. If not, I want to encourage you to do so. In fact, uh, I, I mentioned uh, somehow in the second service, I don't know if I did this one, but for our Connect Group teachers that are here, I encourage you, man, begin your class that way. Hey, what connections did we have? And you as Connect Group uh, teachers and leaders lead the charge with that by sharing some of your connections and conversations. And then uh, as, as a group then, praying for those to develop as well. Uh, nearly every week through this series, at some point we've been we've reverted back then to what is known as the Great Commission that, that follows final marching orders uh, that Jesus gave not only to the disciples before he ascended to heaven but, but also to us today. It's found in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 specifically, where Jesus said, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations." And I've shared that when Jesus said that, as you look at at, at the Greek text here, the the active imperative verb, uh, imperative meaning the command that is given there, the command that is given is not the word go, but it's actually the word make. And then we are to make disciples, be intentional about that. We're to make disciples as you go. And we're to make disciples with all those connections, all those relationships you have, as you go through life, in the workplace, in school, in, in the home, in the communities, as you go, of all people, that word there, of all nations, it's the word ethnos, so we get the word ethnicity, meaning of everyone, regardless of, of what their background is, their nationality, their ethnicity, the color of their skin, the, the age of their body, the, uh, whatever their background is, wherever they are, whatever walk of life, make disciples of everyone. And what Jesus was ultimately saying is, listen, guys, to, to the disciples he was leaving behind in that moment, and, and for us, more, nearly 2,000 years later today, is that evangelism should, should be the epicenter of everything we do. That should be at, at our core for every conversation, for, for everything we do, that as a church, as believers, we need to have a, a sense of urgency about sharing the good news of Jesus with everyone. It, it should be our focus of, of every relationship we have, first and foremost, to share the good news of Jesus. I think one of the greatest mistakes we make as believers, we come to know Christ. We, we repent of our sins. We trust Him as Savior. And, and man, we're, we're excited and we're telling other people about it. And, and you know, in those, those neophytes, those, those early years of being a believer, you're just seeing God and Jesus and everything, you know, and, and telling everybody about it. And, and then we go through life, and the longer we live, it, it's kind of like we get over our salvation. Like, well, I checked that box. I don't need to go to church. Anymore. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to tell anybody about it. I'm good. Hey, man, I, I made that decision. I, I had that little time when I was on fire. I ain't even served in the nursery one time. I'm more righteous than most of the church, right? We, we do those things, and, and it's like we, we get over it. And what Jesus wants to do, remember it always. Remember where you were. When someone first engaged you, remember where you were in life when you first understood the gospel repented of your sins and you trusted Christ. Remember the the sinful person you were in that moment. Never get over being saved. John Newton, many of you know him. uh, He authored uh, Amazing Grace uh, and many other works as well. Incredible testimony that I don't have time for today. But here was his final words, his final quote on this earth. He said this, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. He said, I I just never got over it. I never forgot about the sinner I was. I never forgot about the sinner I am. He said, I I never got over it. And so I never got over Jesus, realizing what a great Savior he is. And secondly, as believers, don't don't come to that place where we think now we've also arrived. Well, I used to be a sinner, but now, bless God, I got saved. Now I'm not a sinner anymore. Really? (laughs) Perfection has arrived, huh? And and yet sometimes we live like that. We begin as believers the longer we walk with the Lord. And and certainly, hopefully, we we are doing better in our walk, in, in our devotional life, and how we serve God, how we give to God, and all these things. But never come to a place where you began to feel like you were above others who are maybe more sinful than you, who are farther away from God. And we began to to almost belittle them. And we forget about the person who we were before we came to Christ and honestly, who we are even still today. Hey, Oscar, for the world's greatest sinner, goes to me and you. And don't ever forget that. Don't ever feel like we, we came to a place where you're a lost sinner and, and I am a righteous, saved person. And so that's what I want us to dive into this morning because Jesus dealt with this. And today I want us to look at Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to look at an entire chapter this morning. And it's a time where he was speaking specifically to the Pharisees, the Pharisees and scribes, but to the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of that day. And they had come to that place where they felt like, hey, I'm a believer. Hey, I, I know the Scriptures better than anyone else. And so we as Pharisees are above everyone else. In fact, we're above reproach. They didn't even receive Christ. In fact, we use that word Pharisee today, we'll use it as an adjective, right? We'll say someone is Pharisaical, meaning they're, they're pious, or, or they feel like they're above someone else. That's what that means to us today. And so Jesus in, in Luke chapter 15 addresses them. You can open the church app, all the text is in there this morning, or turn in your Bibles. And he shares three parables to address specifically the Pharisees here in this exact manner. Now, let me say this about the parables before we jump in. Uh, Remember this, a parable like other scripture, they can't mean today what they didn't mean then. All right? So whatever Jesus was teaching in 28, 30 A.D., whenever it was, whatever he was uh, teaching in that moment, that text means the same thing nearly 2,000 years later as it did in the moment he was teaching it. And if, if shall Jesus tarry another 2,000 years? It will still mean the same thing. So whatever Jesus was teaching in that moment, it still means that today. It can't mean today what it didn't mean then. Jesus used in these parables, uh, really word pictures, if you will, these, the, the, these word stories, so that man in that moment could grasp these, these spiritual lessons or concepts that were just shooting over their heads, right? Uh, he, he was sharing with them, and he looks at them and says, you're not getting it. So let me, let me paint you a picture, we would say today. And that's what he did with words through parables. It's kind of like today, if we want to teach something very deep to, maybe to our children. This is driving me crazy. I don't know what this little thing is, but it keeps shining at me. There we go. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's just one of those things, right? I promise, that's not in the notes. Uh, so if we're going to teach something very deep, meaningful, uh, spiritual to our children, uh, we will do it in a different way and try to use illustrations Object lessons. I could have pulled that in. Missed it. All uh, right. Uh, it's something like that to, to get their attention. Just like I got your attention right now. All right? So let, let, let's say you're going to talk to a child about the, the Holy Trinity, right? And that's something, hey, we're still wrestling with, with a, as adults, right? I'm still trying to wrap my mind about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of uh, being one and yet uniquely different. And, you know, that, that's a deep truth. And so we're going to teach our children that. You know, we'll, we'll use different analogies and symbolism or uh, illustrations, and, and often we'll go to H2O. You know, we'll tell our kids, hey, remember just a couple weeks ago, it was snowing and freezing rain was coming down. You know, that snow that was falling, it was ice crystals, right? And they fell to the ground, and we played in the snow and made snowmen, but, but eventually it got a little bit warmer, didn't it? And that snow, it, it melted. And we'll ask our children, what, what, did, what did the snow become? Well, then it became water. That's right. And then everything was wet, but that sun stayed out. And because it's Tennessee, it was 80 degrees the next day, right? And so you saw the vapor coming up, and the water disappeared, right? And it became water vapor. And we'll say, you know, that's all H2O. It's just three different forms of the same thing. It's ice, it's water, and it's water vapor, but it's still H2O. So we'll use things like that that the child can say, okay, I can grasp that. I played in that snow. I, I ate that snow, I, you know, I, I, I touched that snow, I, I can relate to that. Well, that's what Jesus does in the parables. And so here with these three parables, He shares these three stories, and typically uh, I have parsed these out, preached them individually, right? But I want us today to look at all three because... When we look at them together, what you realize, one, Jesus was speaking all at one time. You'll see how they tie into one another. It's a continuation of his teaching. But when you look at them collectively, if you will, they tell one beautiful narrative. And so that's what I want us to see today. All three of these parables teach God's desire, his, his heart for, for lost people to be saved. And in these three parables, then you have, first of all, the, a parable of the lost sheep followed by a parable of a lost coin, and then finally and ultimately the parable of a lost son. In these parables then, it transitions from uh, the sheep being one of 100 that's lost to the coin that's one of 10 that is lost to ultimately the, the son who is one of two that is lost. Each one then carries a greater value, not only in worth, but also in, in quantity as well, in percentage and so that you see throughout all three of these, this this, this this common idea, this theme, if you will, to pursue the lost and to celebrate their salvation, right? And that's what you're going to see. And in every one of these, mark it down, and you can follow along as I read in just a moment. There's the lost, who are sought, who are found, and who are celebrated. That's the, the four things you're going to see. Something is lost, something is sought after, something is found, and then that thing is celebrated Once it is found. So, with that said, let's jump in. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, we begin in the parable of the lost sheep. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. Now, remember when it says him, talking about Jesus, right? They were approaching to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them now let me let me go ahead and pause there now, let me kind of draw us in as i had said here here the pharisees the religious leaders if you will they're all gathered there and, and what they say is look at all these people listening to jesus Man, he, he's hanging out with sinners tax collectors of all he's even eating with them right the audacity now now what you have to understand tax collectors is tax collectors and sinners Tax collectors, uh, they were Jews themselves, but what they did is they collected taxes from their fellow Jews and then gave those taxes, gave that money to Rome, who was oppressing the Jews, right? So you are taking money from us to give it to, our, uh, uh, to, to those who are oppressing us so they can further oppress us, right? So you can imagine there was not a lot of love for the tax collectors in that day. The Jews hated them. The Romans, they didn't respect them, and, and, what, and they knew that they, were, they typically were shysters. They would, you know, feel owed, you know, 100, uh, 100 denarii to, to Rome. Uh, the tax collector would take 120, right, and keep a little bit for himself, or, or he would negotiate it down uh, with the emperor or whatever the case may be. So everybody hated tax collectors. We just love them today, don't we? But well, back then, if you can imagine, right, everybody hated tax collectors, right? And so knowing that, he says, he's hanging out with these, these tax collectors, and these sinners. And I love that. And the reason I had not got to the parables yet, because I want us to see this. Jesus spent time with lost people. Church, you, you get that, right? He didn't go just to the synagogues. He didn't just go to the... He hung out with lost people. He, he went to where they were. He engaged them. He had conversations with them. He even had the audacity to to dine with them now now keep in mind too that uh, dining with someone in those days was uh, it, it was a very a much more intimate than sometimes we casually you know go out to lunch with with another group from the church here to you know maybe today after church or after services or something back then. To dine, man, you you would put on a show, right? And and often you would have to sacrifice in order to to give out enough food and bring out the best of everything, and you would wash the feet and and, and the hair of the guests, and and you would dine at the table, and it would go on and on for for hours and hours. It was a very intimate setting. He says he's doing that with them. But every time in Scripture, even when you see Jesus hanging out with the destitute, the, the, the lepers, the prostitutes, whoever, he never denies the truth. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm going to go hang out with them, so I'm going to be like them. Jesus was exactly who he was at all times. He hung out with them, but but he didn't deny the truth while he was with them. Why then was Jesus so concerned? Why, Why so often do we see him engaging here, conversing in this way? Because Jesus knew that hell is real. He knew it better than anyone. He knows what hell is. He understands the consequences of our sin. Then ultimately, the, those who, who leave this world without a relationship with Christ, without being forgiven for their sin, they'll live in eternity in hell for all of eternity. And Jesus knows that. And church, can I say something? I, I believe if we had as deep a belief and conviction about hell as we do heaven, we would be more evangelistic too. I really do. I'm convinced of it. I, oh, boy, let's talk about heaven. Let's talk about end times, or rapture. That's great. But do we ever want to talk about hell? Do we ever want to come to a place where we admit, hey, some of the people closest to us in this world that, that left this world, that's where they are. Jesus understood those consequences. And he said, hey, before I get out of here, I'm going do everything I can that no one has to go there. I, I wish we could grab a hold of that. The irony here, Jesus found himself being accepted by the outcasts <laughs> while being rejected by the religious leaders. Those who were supposed to be so close to God are the very ones who rejected him. They didn't get it. See, the Pharisees, it was all about them. God saved me. I'm special, right? This is all simply about my relationship with God and no one else. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. So understanding all that, he told them this parable. Them, the Pharisees. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. There it is. He loses one. The shepherd go- goes after the one that's lost. It says in verse 4 at the end there, he finds it. And when he does, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He grabs everyone together and rejoices because he had found his lost sheep. Now, what you need to understand is Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees. They were taking great offense to this. Because here here, you're being referred to or compared to a shepherd. That's what he said. He said, hey, uh, he he told them this parable. What man among you? Here's what he's saying. Hey, Pharisees, pretend you're a shepherd. (gasps) You would hear a gasp in the crowd. A shepherd? Why, why, never? I would never be a shepherd. They looked down on them because the shepherds were were lowly. They were dirty. They were smelly. They lived with sheep, right? And they were considered thieves. Often, the the shepherds, truly, they they would be out in the fields, and they would shear a little bit of wool, take a little bit off. The the owner of the sheep will never know, and, and they would take it into the marketplace to sell it to keep the money for themselves. They would milk the sheep for themselves and a sheep for themselves and they would take that and sell it in the marketplace. And so that they, they were viewed as thieves by by most people. And these Pharisees thought they were so clean, they were so righteous, ultimately so pious. <laughs> right? That they would never, like they saw with Jesus, hang out with a sinner. Certainly would never be a shepherd. Just being with a shepherd would would defile them. So you you can imagine they were aghast that Jesus would say something like this, but, but he does it to get their attention. Now, what's interesting, something to note about the shepherds, shepherds didn't have a lot of responsibilities. And ultimately, they really just had one. What is it? Protect the sheep, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you got one job. Don't lose the sheep. In fact, uh, it is said that for the shepherds, when, when they would go out, if they, there, were, there were times when there were predators in the, in the regions they would be uh, attending the sheep. And if a predator came, the owner expected that shepherd. If they came back with a story, hey, a predator came and took out one of the sheep, they would have to bring back a piece of that devoured sheep, whatever they could find, and a dead predator. It, it was, it was because they thought they were all thieves. Hey, you'll just steal it from me. So I want to see where it got attacked. I want to see how it got attacked i want to see a dead predator too now they they had one job protect the sheep now we look at that today through a different lens now here we are in 2024 what's a sheep yeah buy you hey you still got 99 be thankful for what you have right man that's kind of the way we look at that we don't we don't see that there man that, that was a, a person's entire business that was their whole portfolio that was all their money their income that was their estate that, that was everything but we look at it, so what's a sheep? That's like something dead in the road out here. We, yeah, we, well, so you lost one. You still got 99. But see, it was far different to them. They, they had a far different value of the sheep than we do today. And for us, it'd be like, hey, you ever lost a kid? Yeah. When, when Christy and I were young, I still am sheep, you know. <laughs> uh, when we were young and had little kids, right? We had, we had three kids, right, all kind of close to the same age. And uh, you'd go places and... You're a great parent and all, but every once in a while, Christy messed up and they would walk off or, no. uh, but we'd be together somewhere too. No, that'd be me, right? It'd be me. Uh, but you look around and all of a sudden, you're like, you know, you get into that habit, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, and your heart stops, right? You know, where is he at, right? It would never be the girl. It would always be one of the boys would, would wander off, right? And, and you look and your heart stops. Now, typically, either the child wandered off a little bit or uh, more commonly, they were right there. You just didn't see them, right? You overlooked them. And being a deranged parent, like, you freak out, right? Your heart stops, and I'm seeing the headline, Pastor Loses Child, you know, things like this. And you freak out. Let me tell you what you never do. You never look around. Whoa, one's missing. Well, I still got two. <laughs> right? No. Well, you, you for, matter of fact, you'll leave those other two behind to fend for themselves while you run out and, and frantically... Look for the one that's lost. Your total concern goes to them. Well, Jesus says, I, I want to draw you a picture of the heart of God. That's it, that's the heart of God. He's thankful for the ones he has, but his sole focus is on the one who's wandered off, the one who's lost. What's that? Our focus has got to be on that lost kid, that that wayward child in our community, our neighbors that, that, yes, we're concerned about those we have in the fold, but but how much more so those that that don't know about Christ? What do we got to do to reach them? What do we got to say? How do I got to get uncomfortable? What's it going to take out of me? What do I got to give? What what do I got to share? That the people across the street will will come to know who Christ is. Yeah. Jesus said, that, that's the heart of God. Look at this, verse 7. This is awesome. I've got it highlighted, even though it's red text in my Bible. There, in, in my notes here. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. You can't just read that, right? Like, picture in your mind that, that every time a sinner Repents and trusts Christ as Savior every time. There's a party in heaven. Hey, personalize it. When you got saved, there was a party in heaven. Heaven rejoices. Heaven celebrates every time someone who is lost is found. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 23. At the time, he was telling another parable, but but he was relating it to the kingdom of God and those who would find themselves to be saved, find themselves in eternity in heaven. He said this, we long for these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Then he says this, share in your master's joy. What is the joy? The the joy of heaven is the the salvation of the lost. That's the joy. And he says, "You, you get to share in that now. One day we're going to be in heaven, and and that's one of the things we're going to do. We're going to throw parties every time somebody gets saved. Isn't it a shame we don't do it on earth? Isn't it a shame? Writer of Hebrews chapter 12 said this in the first two verses. Let us, talking about believers, the church, run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross, even despising its shame. He he said this, Jesus knew what was coming in the cross. And he looked at it with joy. Was he sadistic? Like he he was looking forward to the nails, the the, the crown? of No, he was looking forward with great joy to what the cross would accomplish. What would it accomplish, church? The salvation of the lost. He said, I looked at that. Not even the cross could extinguish Jesus' joy for salvation for sinners. Was I, hey, every time, every Sunday when you see this tank up here, and it'll be up here in a couple more weeks again, every time you see that baptistry up here, every time you get to participate in a... Man, we, we ought to be rivaling heaven with our celebration. Amen? When that person comes out of that water, we ought to be throwing babies in the air. We ought to have to re- redo the chairs every Monday after following a baptism Sunday. Amen? That's pitiful. We we ought to celebrate like like heaven celebrates. We should rival them. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. He goes on then, the parable of the lost coin. Or what woman who who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Now, understand this. First, Jesus says to these high and mighty Pharisees, Hey, let's just imagine you're a shepherd. (gasps) a shepherd. Right? They took great offense to that. Now he's going nuclear on them. Now pretend you're a woman. (gasps) To a Pharisee? I mean, shepherds, one thing. Pretend I'm a woman. They would have taken even greater. (laughs) You're talking about being taken back. Man, they would have been offended by this one. You have to understand, Jewish men would pray in the mornings the Sedur. Part of that prayer was this: God, I thank you that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. They would pray. Pray that, Jewish men, every morning, God, thank you, I ain't a woman. And Jesus comes in and says, hey, pretend you're a woman, right? I love it, all right? You've you got to see the, the, the humor in that, right? Uh, ladies, that, uh, hey, listen, uh, that, that was then, and they were wrong, right? Remember the Pharisees were the bad guys here, <laughs> all right? They They're the bad guys, Pharisees, right? And say the Baptists said that, the Pharisees, they, they said that, right? The wrong ones. You pretend, pretend you're a woman. Now, now we also see this transition from from one of 100 sheep that were lost to one of 10 coins. And this is far more valuable. This is one of 10, right? And these coins would have carried a significant amount. They would either be representing one-tenth, these 10 coins of of an entire savings. Like uh, maybe it was an older lady. We don't know her age. And and this was her whole retirement. This is everything she had. And a tenth of it was gone. Hey, listen, I know a lot of us lost a tenth of our retirement like that in the stock market, right? But pretend you had it in your house, and a tenth of your retirement was just, it's there somewhere, but you don't, would you not tear your house up looking for it? Huh? I was ready to tear Congress up looking for my retirement, you know, in the past couple of years. I don't know what y'all did with it, right? It was there. It's gone. This woman tore her house up. They had dirt floors, and, and she's in there. Sweet, You can imagine a coin, a likely a brown-colored coin in a dirt floor. She's tearing the place up, looking for it. it. It was her retirement. Maybe it was her dowry. You know, maybe it was that, that gift either from her husband, and, and now he's passed, and, and, and that was what they, they paid for her to have. a wife. See the value that the women also had, ladies? Like they would bring a dowry to the table or, or a dowry from her father. Regardless, it, it was of great value. And so she, she searched. She lost it. She searched her house for it. She swept the place up, and then she found it. And she rejoiced. She brought in the neighbors. Said, "We got to throw a party. We got to celebrate because I found what was lost. I found it." Friends, what Jesus is saying is souls are valuable to Him. Like we go after money and and stuff in this world, just reckless abandon with everything we got. Jesus says that's the heart of God to go after lost sinners. He continues, Terry, I'm, oh, I'm sure. Um let's, let's read real quick. Parable of the lost son. Y'all, uh, many are familiar with this. You've been in church uh, at all for any length of time. He also said this, continuing on, man had two sons. A younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate that I, I have coming to me. Now, he didn't have it coming to him until the father died. So he distributed, the, the father distributed assets to him. Now, not many days later, the younger son, "'Gathered together all he had, the one who'd asked for it, "'and traveled to a distant country "'where he squandered his estate in foolish living. "'After he had spent everything, "'a severe famine struck that country, "'and he had nothing left. "'Then he went to work for one of the citizens "'of that country, "'who sent him into his fields to feed pigs.' He longed to eat his fill from the, the pods the, the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. No one paused pause ever say, you have a Jewish boy who's not allowed to eat pigs, touch pigs, and he'd be near pigs. And now he's feeding them. And he looks at them, and, and they're giving these pods. Now, you have to understand, in those days, pigs didn't get grain and, and left. There was no such thing as leftover food, by the way. You know, that, that's a more modern a Western culture thing. If you had food to eat, you ate the food. There was never leftovers, right? And so pigs were given the pods, the things that, that man couldn't eat. For us today, you can imagine uh, if you took an a ear of corn, you'd eat all the corn off of it, and all that's left is the husk that, that man can't digest, the, the cob that we can't. That's what he, the things they were giving the pigs are, are things that man can't even digest. And he said, man, they're getting food, and I got nothing. He couldn't even eat the pods. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers they got more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up. He went to his father, but while the son was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and, and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told the servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring a fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field as he came near the house he heard the music and dancing and so he summoned one of the servants questioning what all this meant your brother is here he told him and your father has slaughtered the fattened cat because he has him back safe and sound then he became angry and didn't want to go in so his father came out and pleaded with him but he replied to his father look i i've been slaving many years for you and i i've never disobeyed your orders right right i've never i've never disobeyed your orders Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Hey, I've been here this whole time. Where's my praise, right? But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, and, and, and you slaughtered the fattened calf for him, son, he said to him, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours... Remember, he said not only... The the brother referred to him as his dad's son. He said, no, he's your brother. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. Son, he was lost, but now he's found. Real quick, here's what the the younger son said. He said, ultimately, dad, I wish you were dead. That's what he said. He had to wait for his dad to die to get his part of the estate, right? His one-third. He said, listen... There was a third because the the older brother would get the two-thirds of it. He said, I I wish you were dead. Dad, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. And I have to believe as Jesus was sharing this parable, certainly in his mind he was thinking about the relationship that so many of us have with God. "God, God, I want you to do what I say. But God, I don't want to do what you say. God, I want you to give me what I ask for. But I don't want to give you anything. Hey, God, I want you to give me this relationship right now. But hey, that whole celibacy thing in the Bible, God, I can't, I I don't know about all that. God, I want you to bless me financially. But this whole tithing thing, God, what are you thinking? We can go on and on. Hey, listen, I want you to save me eternally from my sin. But I don't want to give that same opportunity to anybody else. God, I don't want to have to tell anybody about it. Do you know what the word prodigal means? It means wasteful. Wasteful. The the prodigal son was the the wasteful son. He wasted everything. The the, the father just kind of casually went over it. His brother got into it in detail, didn't he? He said exactly how he spent it, prostitutes and the like. He wasted everything the Father had given him. And I couldn't help it as I was thinking in my study this week, Ephesians 5 came to mind, verses 15 and 16. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and he said this, pay careful attention then to how you walk. The church, the believers, not as unwise people, but as wise. Verse 16, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Paul says, hey, Don't waste the time you have. Northside, don't waste the time you have. Don't waste the relationships you have. Don't waste the conversations you have. Don't be prodigal. Don't find yourself in heaven one day and thankful that you're saved, but while you're up there regretting the conversations you never had while you were here with those who were so close to you. Well, first he compared the Pharisees to a shepherd. Then he compared them to a woman. (laughs) But now, in this story, the Pharisees are are that disgruntled older brother who were so absorbed in themselves they didn't want to share anything with others. You said, but Pastor, wait a minute. You said all three of these parables shared something in common there was a lost, a sought, a found, and a celebrated. I see the lost. I see the found and the celebrated here. I don't see the salt. The brother and dad, they let him go. They didn't run after him. I'm going to take you back. Look at verse 20. The brother went and and went to his father to find him. While the son, it says, was still a long ways off, his father saw him. Here's the picture Jesus painted. painting. That dad was home, but he was watching. He was looking out there. He knew the direction the sun left. Day and night, he was watching. He was waiting. And one day, there was something out there. He's there's, there's, there's bringing the servant. you see what, what? what is that? He goes outside, gets to, to the edge of his property. He can see it a little clearer. Now he says, Hey, that's my boy. And the text says he does what no Jewish man would do he took off running. That would be embarrassing to them. Men wore uh, those gowns and robes, and they would never show their legs in public to run. They would have to do that. And the father goes out just reckless abandoned to meet his son. The text doesn't say the the boy knocked on the door, and the dad answered and let him in. It says the dad ran after him. He was watching and waiting and hoping, and one day it came, and he ran after him. That's our God. Friends, God will embarrass himself. He will run after you, meet you where you are so that you would come home and be saved. Side, will we? Will we go after the lost? Will we, in reckless abandon, say we'll do whatever it takes just to reach one? Because that's what Jesus says we ought to do. Uh, real quick, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm a little bit late. I'll apologize to the nursery. Okay, now, I uh, read another story. There was a man, he, he was driving to work early one morning, as he has always done. But uh, this time, the night before, there was a horrific storm. I mean, it was just torrential downpour and uh, everything. So he left out early that morning. And uh, because of everything, it was real foggy that morning. You couldn't see real good. And he was taking the, the typical journey that he always did. But uh, he was on that road. And, and as he was driving to his workplace, he, he noticed that a couple cars up in front of him, the, the taillights just boom, disappeared. And the next car that was behind that one, the taillights just boom disappeared. Well, the man, understanding the road, he he slowed down, pulled over to the side, and as he got out and inspected, what he saw was the bridge that was supposed to be over this huge ravine had been completely washed out in the flood. And both of those cars that were in front of him plunged into that water to their death. The man just trying to wrap his mind about what, what he's seen, sees some more headlights coming. the man jumps out and begins to wave his arms. The, the people in the car, assuming that he's some kind of lunatic or hitchhiker, go around him, plunge off into their death to drown. This happens a couple of times, and then the man looks, and he sees bigger lights, and, and he realizes that it's a, it's a yellow bus. It's, it's a school bus full of kids, and it's coming at him. But this time the man says, I don't care what it takes. He, he gets out in the middle of the road. He, he's waving his arms. He's jumping. He's yelling. And he decides in that moment, listen, I has no way I'm let. If that bus goes in this ravine, it's going to take me with it. He saved that bus. Jesus is the heart of the fathers. He's willing to go out there. to look like a fool to do whatever. But he is not going to let one more go off the cliff. And that's what he wants out of the church. We would have that same heart. Do not let one more pass out of this life into eternity in hell. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we, we thank you for your love for us. The picture that Jesus paints that is only just a, a taste of your love. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today, maybe they feel like they're that, they're that one that's lost, they're that one that's out of touch. Maybe they've been judged by the church or by Christians, but... Today, they just want to come to that place to ask you to save them, to love them. And for everybody here, God, we would be a church that is willing to forsake all to save the lost. Help us to do so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.